Maybe you just want to draw your conversations to a close. Maybe opportunity to have coffee and chat towards the end of the morning. Um, it's great to be with you. My name is Jem. I'm one of the elders here at the church. It's great to be back with you. This is my first, and Susie, my wife's, and my our first Sunday back after about five weeks away. It's great, isn't it? It's good. It's fantastic. It's nice to be here. So good to be back. But um, so we, we we were in we were in Greece, as, as Phil mentioned, for a month, um, visiting people, getting um, yeah, just an idea and perspective of what's happening. In, in, in that nation, in terms of the good news of Jesus and the impact of the gospel in bringing transformation to people's lives. So it was a real privilege, and we just want to thank the church for supporting us in that, both in prayer and, and obviously you know, financially as well, being able to go there, flights and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's, you, know, you are involved in this as much as we are, and it's so great to have your support in that way. And we'll be giving you a little opportunity to... Uh, we'll be sharing a little bit more uh, later, later, probably in the month, we get that opportunity. But this morning, I want to continue our series from Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is what we're looking at. So we've been going through this as a church, this letter Paul has been writing to the Corinthian church. Um, one of the things that in, in preparation for going to Greece was to do a bit of learning the language. So at least you can say hello and... Um, and, and and introduce yourself and it's, the problem is when people talk back to you isn't it or in that situation it's like you have no idea what they're saying um, it's very humbling being in a country where you don't know the language um, it's, it's always a, it's a it's a good thing to do I think sometimes just to remind ourselves that we're not the be-all and end-all and the, 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 the business um, it's very humbling to be that but part of learning this language part of going to Greece was learning the language through through an app and um, there was one moment where I, it's Part, it's quite a difficult language if you've ever learnt Greek. Um, first of all, the alphabet's completely different, um, but also the structure of the sentences and all that sort of thing are completely different. Um, so in English, we have, we, love, we have our subject, object, and verb, and we quite like that. Um, in Greece, it doesn't matter where you put these things in the sentence. Um, as it's the endings that matter. And it, I suddenly had a light bulb moment where I understood with the endings of different words and tying that with the noun and the verbs. It's like, now, now I get where things are going. Now I get why this says this. Now I get what happens when you read this. And it started to make a bit more sense. It was, it was literally a light bulb moment where we were struggling to, to understand and comprehend this language. And this moment just like, ah, oh, yeah, now I get part of this. And I don't know when you had your last light bulb moment when suddenly something became clear there was a moment of clarity. You thought, ah, that's what this is all about. Now I get it. For some of you, that might be maths. Uh, oh, look at that. <laughs> some of you, that is never going to be maths. Okay? Um, but there's, sometimes you have those light bulb moments, don't you, when suddenly things become clear. Or you may have had a light bulb moment when you've had a, a revelation about a person or a situation that has so shaken your faith and trust in them or what's going on that you've been, um, <clears throat> that it's shaken everything you've been told to believe and trust in. It's shaken that. There's been a moment when that's happened. And in Paul, in this whole letter to the Corinthian church, he's urging his readers, those that are, those who live and love and follow Jesus, he's urging them to, when they're living in a world that, where people don't live and love and follow Jesus, that he's urging them to see everything 
through the lens of the cross. That's what his letter's encouraging the church to do. All the things we've been talking about is urging them to see everything that's going on around them and in them through the lens of the cross, the perspective. And not just the cross, but what happens afterwards. And that's the bit we're going to be focusing on today. The physical resurrection of Jesus Christ in a bodily form. This is the, for Paul, this is the light bulb moment of the gospel. So everything is seen through the resurrection of Jesus. All of a sudden, when Jesus is raised from the dead, physically, bodily, he's there, he's physically with his disciples. It puts into perspective all that's gone on before. So the Gospels that we have are written about Jesus in the Bible. They're all written after the light bulb moment of the resurrection of Jesus. They understood what Jesus was teaching about. They understood the significance of what happened on the cross in the light of the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what, that's what I want to focus on today. That Paul was writing to this church. He wants them to understand this. He wants them to get this moment of this light bulb moment about seeing what, what the cross does. Because some of them, he says in this passage, they've stopped believing in that. They've had this moment taken away from them. So let's just read this passage. <coughs> Excuse me. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 34. It says, But, this is Paul writing, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. See you, everybody. You can go home now. Preaching is useless. And, not just my preaching, not just our preaching, so is your faith. Your faith is useless if Christ has not been raised from the dead. <coughs> More than that, it's not just that. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he did raise Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people should be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all the minion authority and power for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet the last enemy to be destroyed is death for he has put everything under his feet now when it says that everything has been put under him it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ so when he has done this then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all now that if there is no resurrection what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, 
what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. What I want us to talk about this morning is we need to keep our perspective in the right place. We need to guard against our perspective slipping and changing. I don't know if you um, saw an article from, on the BBC News um, towards the end, of, the end of October. There was this article, I think it was promoting a program that they're doing, I think it was a panorama program they're doing, where they're looking at they are the whole thing of conspiracy theorists and theories. And it was, it, to me, it was quite, quite alarming. This is what the report said. It's a report that was done, um, survey of about 4,000 people for the BBC, done by King's College London. And they tried to um, weight the survey so it represented most of the UK population. And they said that nearly one in five people in the UK think terror survivors are not telling the truth about what happened to them. A third say the pandemic has made them more suspicious of official explanations of UK terror attacks. And what it said was that 14% believe that the 2017 Manchester Arena attack probably involved crisis actors who pretended to be injured. Isn't that astonishing? Seven, I, mean, I, I found that astonishing. But it shows, doesn't it, if, if your perspective changes, if something comes along and changes what you think and how you think, it can have a profound impact on what you believe and how you behave. Because interestingly, the report goes on to say that those that had, had suffered injuries, particularly in the, in the Manchester Arena bombing, they had had people troll them on social media, saying that they were liars, saying that they, you know, why don't you confess and own up the fact that you, you, you haven't been injured? Uh, and, and people would even go and, ha and, and sort of hang outside their house with cameras and they would follow them, try and get pictures of them to say, look, you're not injured. You're just, you're just pretending you're lying about this. So it, behave, it, it changed these behavior of these guys. They didn't believe it. They acted on it and, and tried to prove their theories by going and following these people. So when our perspective changes, it's, it can have profound impacts. It's not just a difference of opinion, but it impacts our very lives. It impacts what we believe in. It impacts what we believe about the past. It impacts how we live today. And it, it impacts the hope that we have in the future. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying to the Corinthian church, some of you have lost your perspective. Some of you have lost the perspective of the resurrection of Jesus. And that has a huge implication for you, but also for others. Um, I wonder how many of you if, you, if I were to say to you, do you believe in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus? That is, Jesus' body has been raised to life from the dead physically. How many of you would put your hands up? Okay. okay, some of you. Great. How many of you would put your hands up if you said, if I said, asked the question, do you believe you will be physically, bodily raised from the dead <laughs> okay that's very good so you can maybe go home now and not listen to the rest of this because <laughs> but not everybody holds those views do they maybe you have some other idea of what happens after death 
Maybe you have some sort of view of, of, of reincarnation, that somehow your spirit is raised to life again, but your body isn't. Somehow our spirit goes somewhere, but our body just decays in the ground. Because when we look around, that's what happens, isn't it? Your body is buried or cremated, whatever the religion or background you come from, and it decays. So maybe it's just a, a spirit. Or what was it, just some sort of distorted, horrible body that's resurrected? It's not a full bodily resurrection. You know, we've been inundated, haven't we, by films about zombies in the past sort of couple of decades. They've been everywhere. Um, and the idea is, yeah, people do come back from the dead, but they're pretty deformed and they're pretty gross and, and, and they, they, they're completely changed in some way. Maybe that's your idea. That there may be a bit of a bodily resurrection, but it's going to be a bit gross. It's going to be a bit horrible. Or maybe that actually you just think of this idea of the death and resurrection of Jesus as just a bit of a metaphor to say we can get a new life if we want to. So we can, you know, there's a, there's a, there is a way of life, but it's not, it's not, a, new, it's not a physical resurrection. It's just a, a story that says, that shows how we can get a new life. We can be changed if we choose to do so. If, we, if we're good enough, if we apply ourselves enough, we can, we can change the way we live and have a new life. Maybe that's your understanding of what the gospel is and what it says. But that's not what Paul's getting at. He says, if you lose this perspective, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead, it has massive implications for everything. The way we see things is important. It shapes how we view the past and how we live and what we have hope for. Paul says in this passage, it has implications about God. Because we've been preaching that Christ has been raised from the dead, he says. But all our preaching, and our preaching today from the Bible, all that we have speaks about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we teach. As Paul says, but if we preach about the resurrection of the dead, but there is no resurrection of the dead as you believe, what, what's the implication? Well, basically it says, we make God out to be a liar. We misrepresent God. He says, Paul says, we are found to be false witnesses about God, meaning that we've borne witness against God by saying that he raised Christ from the dead, whom Christ, whom God did not raise from the dead. For Paul, Christ's resurrection is not, is not Christ's own doing, but God's vindication of the work of the Son. That means that a denial of the resurrection of the dead ultimately leads to a denial of the gospel altogether. It levels an accusation against the living God that the God did what, in fact, God did not do. We make God out to be a liar if what the Corinthians he's talking to believe that there is no resurrection of the dead. We make God to be a liar. Massive implication, isn't it? What about us? Paul says, well, actually, it means your faith is futile, he says. Your faith is futile. As Paul says, you are still in your sins. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then you are still in your sins. The denial of their future, that they are destined for a resurrection based on the Christ resurrection, basically says there's a net effect of a denial of the past, that they've received forgiveness of sins on the basis of Christ's death. As Paul writes to another, another church in Rome a bit later in his life, he says in Romans chapter 4, 25, he, that's God, has delivered us over to death for our, sorry, he was, so Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life 
our justification. That's big. That means being made right with God. So our relationship with God was made right through Jesus being raised to life. And in five, chapter 5, verse 10 of the same letter to the Roman church, he says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled by his death, made right with God, put back in good relationship, it means, shall we be saved through his life? So how much more will we have to look forward to? How much more can we depend on that we will be saved because Jesus has been raised from the dead? The death of Jesus as for us, that, that Paul writes about there, both for justification and sanctification, is so in, inextricably bound with his resurrection. So to deny one is to deny the other. If you deny that there's already a resurrection of the dead, Christ has not been raised from the dead physically and bodily, then all the rest hasn't happened. You're, you're, you're still living in your sin. You haven't got forgiveness of sin. So your faith is completely futile. Christ is not raised from the dead, then we haven't been forgiven our sins. And Paul makes this weird statement about being baptized for the dead, and there's lots of theories as to what, what that means, but basically we as a church believe in baptism, full immersion baptism, after becoming a believer in Jesus. Um, so where I'm standing here, some of you may have seen the baptism. Um, what, what I think Paul means is, is baptizing those who've been who dead in sin but now been made alive to Christ, so baptizing the dead in that sense. Um, but it's not clear. But basically what happens with baptism, where we baptise people, is they go into the water and they come out of the water. And what Paul's saying is, you know what? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why are we baptising people? We might as well just leave them in the water. <laughs> yeah, just leave them down in the water because they're dead in their sins anyway. There's no hope and no way of new, new life. So he says baptism is, is affected. The whole, our whole faith it's futile. You've not been forgiven your sins if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. And he goes on to say, well, actually, that affects our behavior as well. Because he says, why, why do I do what I do, Paul is saying? Why do I face difficulty every day? Why do I face people beating me up and putting me in prison and, and facing physical abuse and, and death, the implication of death? You know, that story that Phil was talking about, there's this guy in prison. Um, why does he do that? Why does he daily, even though he'd been warned not to do it, still do it with this threat of prison, with this threat of um, death for some people hanging over them? Why do people go out and tell others about Jesus in, when the, the risk is that they could be killed, where they could lose their family? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then all that is just futile. Paul says this, he gives them a little proverb from their own life. He says, well, if it's no good... If you've not been forgiven your sin, if Christ hasn't raised him from the dead, then why do you live the way you do? Why just not eat and drink and be merry? For tomorrow we die. Death is, it's no, there's nothing after death. It's just we might, because we're going to die tomorrow, let's just eat and drink and be merry today. And often I think that's what our society looks like today, doesn't it? Where is the hope in death? Well, there isn't any, because we don't believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. Don't, if we don't believe Jesus is raised from the dead, we don't believe we've forgiven our sins because his death and his resurrection are so in, inextricably linked. You can't separate one from the other. So you see Paul's argument saying, don't lose your perspective on the resurrection of the dead because it has massive implications. It has huge implications for who God is. We make him out to be a liar and it has huge implications 
for our own faith and the life we live. But fortunately, Paul says, no, Christ is raised from the dead. He says, Christ is raised from the dead. He describes Jesus as the first fruits in this passage. He says, the first fruits from, the, from among those who'd fallen asleep, the first fruits from those who died, basically. Jesus is raised as the first fruit of that. What does that really mean? If you have an apple tree, oh, give them the game away. Ah, okay, if you have a fruit tree, <laughs> you have a fruit tree and you have no idea what sort of fruit tree it is because you bought, you bought this house and you've got a tree in the garden and um, the first fruit that you get on it, the first thing that grows is an apple. You're going to be pretty sure that the rest of the fruit on that tree are going to be apples, aren't you? Coming from that same tree, might be a different tree down the, down the road, it'll be different. But that tree that produces an apple first, you're pretty sure it's going to be producing apples and not grapefruits or plums. That's what Paul is talking about, the first fruits. The first fruits is Jesus' physical bodily resurrection. So all those who come after him, who believe in him and follow him, they're going to have the same. Christ is the first fruit. It's guaranteed because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Those who believe and follow Jesus will be raised from the dead in exactly the same way. Jesus is the first fruit. For Paul, death is inevitable in that passage because of our sharing in the humanity and sinfulness, it says, of the first man, Adam. So death is inevitable for us because we, we're born into Adam, the first man. But believers sharing the resurrection from the dead through the second man, Christ, he, he has re he's reversed this um, process that began in Adam. He's completely reversed it through his death and his resurrection. In saying that all die in Adam, Paul means that this common lot of humanity is the result of our being in Adam, that he's been born of his race and thereby involved in the sin and death that proceeded from him. But in saying that in Christ all be made alive, Paul means that those who are in Christ, those who have entered the new humanity through this grace by means of Jesus' death and resurrection, will just as certainly be made alive because of Christ. They will be raised from the dead to share in the life of the risen Jesus. Thus, Jesus is the first fruits. He is God's pledge that all who belong to God will be raised from the dead. The inevitable process of death begun in Adam will be reversed by the equally inevitable process of bringing to life that was begun in Christ. Therefore, it's not possible, as commentator writes, for the Corinthians or for us to say there is no resurrection of the dead. Of the dead. Such a resurrection is necessitated by Christ's resurrection. That's the position we stand in as those who know and love Jesus. We have a guaranteed resurrection, physical, bodily resurrection from the dead because Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, that gives us a hope, doesn't it? That gives us hope for the future. That gives us hope for if you're anything like me and getting towards the end of your life. Well, I'm, 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 to I'm more towards the end than I am at the beginning, put it that way. <laughs> I'm not going to live to over 100, anyway, <laughs> whatever age that would be if I am over halfway there. Um, 
So, yeah. Distraction. That's no. But we know, don't we, that our bodies are falling apart, generally. We start to get more aches and pains. You know, we can't do the things we used to do. I just recently had to go and have my eyes done because my eyes are failing and all this sort of thing in certain respects. So we know that's happening. But isn't it amazing to know that that's just, this is just a short-term thing? Because if I believe in Jesus, if I believe that Jesus has died and rose again, I know that I too will be raised physically and bodily. Not to a corrupted body that's falling apart, but to one that's eternal and wonderful and it'll still be my body, but it'll be different in some way because it's no longer subject to decay, no longer subject to sin. That's a great hope for people, isn't it, in that sort of situation? You may, you know, maybe you maybe got chronic illness, chronic pain. You maybe have a, even have a life-threatening diagnosis that you've been sort of impacted with. If you're in Jesus, this wonderful hope of a resurrection body is so vital. Because it means that your suffering is not in vain. Because Christ will raise you to life. But it also means he knows the suffering and pain you're going through. It also means, well, it's also why we pray for the sick, isn't it? We don't just hope and lay way back and think, oh yeah, in the future we'll, we'll, we'll be all great. But we pray for the sick now because Jesus has been raised from the dead. The power that was at work in Christ, of raising him from the dead, is at work in us today. And we can do what Christ did. We can pray for the sick. That's what Jesus tells us to do, isn't he? Pray for the sick. Spread the gospel. Tell them about the kingdom of God. So it doesn't just give us hope for the future, but it impacts on how we behave now. For those of us who are facing maybe physical confrontation, persecution, emotional challenges from family and friends because of what we believe and what we say, it gives us the hope, doesn't it, to persevere. Because it means, well, I'm not doing this in vain. I'm not saying that Jesus, is, Jesus died for your sins and he's raised again so you can have, can have new life. It's not a lie. I'm not saying peddling a, 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 just a good story to make you feel better. I truly believe it because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And I know if you come to believe and follow Jesus, you too will have this wonderful gift of physical bodily resurrection to look forward to. But not just that, they give you power to live for today. So those of us who are facing persecution and difficulty like that, it enables us to go on. The perspective of the death and its impact, whatever you believe about death, is completely changed in the light of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, all of that tied together gives us a new perspective. On, on death and its impact. If Christ is raised from the dead, then we're forgiven our sins through his death on the cross. We're given his Holy Spirit to live for the way that we, we, we can live today. And we have a hope for the future. It changes what death, the impact of death. Death, it says, no longer has its sting, does it? Because death has been won. The, the victory over death has been won in Jesus, the Bible tells us. So death no longer has its impact if we have a new perspective on what Jesus has done through his death and his resurrection. It completely changed the way we think. So we need to keep guard of that, don't we? We need to keep hold of this perspective. Don't let your perspective shift. We need to constantly be reminding ourselves and each other about this wonderful good news 
of the gospel in Jesus. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept for you, if you know and follow Jesus, who through faith, through belief in what Jesus has done, through this perspective of the gospel and Jesus' resurrection, through faith you're being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the time when Jesus comes again. This wonderful quote from a, uh, an early um, 14th century theologian, if you want to call him a theologian, says, only faith gives us access to theological truth. The ways of God are not open to reason, for God has freely chosen to create a world and establish a way of salvation apart from any necessary laws that human logic or rationality can uncover. So on the face of it, when we look at death, we think the body decays. You know, we, don't, we say, don't we, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But when we believe in Jesus, and we believe in his death and his physical resurrection in a body, not some metaphor, not some spirit that raises, and, um, but the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, when we see that perspective, when we see the truth of that, our perspective about death changes. But for all of those who, who are in Jesus, whether it's they died in the past believing in Jesus, whether it's us today believing in Jesus, we know we have this amazing faith, uh, amazing hope to look forward to. And that is not through reason, but it's through God giving us faith, changing our perspective, renewing our hearts and minds. God who gives us a new life, it says, to a living hope. So we need to guard this truth. We need to make sure we're in the right perspective. Paul concludes in that passage I said by saying, bad company corrupts good character. That's what he says. What we allow ourselves to listen to, to read, to watch, can shape how we think and view things, doesn't it? I mentioned that thing about the conspiracy theories. What people listen to, what people watch, has shaped the way they think about a reality. And their view has completely been transformed and completely changed. They don't even believe the truth that they've been told. And we need to guard against that, Christians. We need to guard against that. We need to remain in, the, in, the good, in, in good, good perspective. Now, last, last Sunday was the New Ground Sunday. Um, many of you saw the Dave Holden, who heads the New Ground Churches, Phil mentioned earlier. He was speaking on the screen to all the churches within New Ground. But there was an interesting picture at the end of this about an, an armada. If you, if you saw it, if you remembered it, you remember it, there's this picture of a fleet of, our, of ships that were coming together. But as they were coming together, they, they were having repairs done on the ship. They, they had running repairs being done as the ships came together. They needed a bit of rigging done, sails needed mending, a, bit, a few leaks. That's what I'm interpreting. That's from my understanding of the picture. Um, and, and I just wanted to pick up on that because that is exactly, I think, what Paul is talking about, about perspective. If we don't attend to the important things like our understanding of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, then the ship can sink. 
And those repairs, those things need to be done constantly, don't they? If you're not careful, you can focus too much on the colour of the sails. Oh, we need bright pink sails because they're the best. Um, or, oh, we need a nice uniform for everyone on the boat. We need to get that. That's the important thing. So we spend our time focusing on the uniform for the boat. But what doesn't get attended to is the leak underneath the waterline that's going to sink the boat. What doesn't get attended to is the, the frayed rope that at any moment could snap and cause a sail to fail at that moment, decisive moment when the ship needs it. And that's, I think, what Paul is talking about. Keep your perspective. Keep constantly reminding yourself, being aware, teaching yourself about the truth of the gospel. Those are the important things. If you let those slip, your ship could sink. And it has huge ramifications. It's not just a, a little change, but it has massive, massive implications for who we believe God is and how we live our life. So I don't know, how often do you take time to consider the implications of what you believe? Do you take a moment to just sit down and, and like maybe Paul has done in this letter, just think, well, what is the implication if I don't believe this? And just take a moment to think about it and get your, get your thoughts and minds back in perspective. And how many times have you actually spoke to someone else about that? Have you said to them before, do you ask a simple question? Maybe someone doesn't believe in this. What do you think happens after death? Where do you think you go? What, what do you think happens? And, what, and, and so what, how does that affect the way you live? Well, let me tell you about the resurrection of Jesus. Because this is how it's impacted me. This is how it affects the way I live. There are ways that we can do this to keep ourselves constantly tending to the important things, the running repairs of the ship to make sure our perspective is, is aligned with the, the perspective of, of the Bible and the gospel. Because without it, we could get shipwrecked. And we don't want to get shipwrecked. We want to be those that are fighting fit, as it were, to be those who witness to the goodness of Jesus. So let's just stand together. We're going to break bread and take wine in a moment um, which will remind us of the death and resurrection of Jesus but let's just, let's just take a moment to pray the band are going to come up I just want to pray for us the Holy Spirit we thank you for your presence today we thank you that because Jesus died and rose again it says he went to the Father and he sent the helper the Holy Spirit the one that leads us into all truth and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you continue to remind us of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That you continue to remind us that it is a reality, it is truth. Paul said, but Jesus has been raised from the dead. And Lord, I pray you help us to see our life situations. You help us to see the things that are going on in our family. You help us to see things that are going on in the world around us through this perspective of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And for those of us who know and love you, Lord, we have this wonderful promise of being raised physically. And also may it spur us on, Lord, to share that good news with others, that they too would know this wonderful truth, that their perspective will be changed. Lives will be changed. People's view of who you are will be changed. And as a result of that, their lives will be transformed and changed as they follow. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.